Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, the word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he was there making something on the wheel. Verse number four. But the vessel that he made of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel? Deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Verse number four, again, it says, Then the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled. The new King James says, Marred in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel. Somebody say another vessel. Say it again. Say another vessel. Amen. As it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord said, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject a message for the marred. Amen. A message for the marred. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A message for the marred. I find it difficult for people to understand and even for me to live out the reality that when God saves us, he doesn't just save us with no expectation of us. That God saves us with the expectation that we would live a life that glorifies him. God saves us with the expectation that by the power of his spirit, by the grace of his hand, we would live lives that bring him glory. That's why Christian character matters. After you get saved, it is important how you behave because God has not called you just to enjoy salvation, but he has called you through your life to win others to his side. And the more I live, the longer I live rather, and the more I try to serve God, the more I'm confronted with the reality that being saved is harder than getting saved. Yeah. Uh, living right is harder than getting right because 
God calls us into salvation and he does the heavy lifting of salvation for us. But then he sends us into a wicked, cruel, uncaring world with people that don't like us, people that have bad attitudes, people who get on our nerves. And God calls us then to live lives that glorify him around people who seem not to care about whether or not they're going to glorify him. Yeah, and, 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 and the more I try to live for God and try to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that I've received from God, the more I'm forced to acknowledge my own incapacity to live up to God's standard. Yeah, I got flaws. I have failures. I have inconsistencies in my character. And I don't know if there's anybody in the building who can be honest along with me because I know that many of us are used to coming to church and pretending as if everything is all right and we don't have any problems. But is there anybody in the building who can be honest and underneath your cool, clean, calm, and collected exterior, you've got some serious issues? Now, I'm not talking about the small and the cute issues, but I'm talking about the serious things that happen to you in your past that affect your present behavior. I'm talking about some things that if we could go through your phone and look through your messages and see what's in your DMs and go through your journal and read the things that you write and think about and talk about and deal with, you'd never want to show your face in church again. I'm not talking about stuff, uh, I, I'm not talking about small stuff, but this message is for people like me who even though you love God and, and you're trying to live a holy life, uh, you got to admit it hasn't been easy because you've had to struggle through some stuff and because you've had to struggle through some stuff you've got some unresolved issues in the places of your pain can anybody be honest with me and admit that you've got some trauma in your life that affects your present behavior I know uh, we try to act like uh, it's not real but let's have group therapy for a moment and tell the truth and, and just admit that you've got some stuff in your past the way your father talked to you the way your mother cut her eyes at you the way your aunties used to gossip around you has affected you in your psyche and in your emotions and in your soul and it's changed the way you look at yourself it's changed the way you look at others and you and because of these things in your life you've got to admit I love Jesus I'm trying to do right but I've gone through some relationships I've had some trials I've had some trauma I've had some hell and some high water and because of that I don't act like I love Jesus every day I, I don't act like I love Jesus every day. I make some mistakes. I, I do some things that don't make sense. I sometimes look in the mirror and be like, why did you do that? Why did you say that? I can't explain it to myself. Sometimes I hear the Holy Ghost say go right and I go left sometimes. And I'm not trying to justify it. I don't want to excuse it. But I just want to be honest for a minute about the fact that underneath my church face, I'm messed up. Yeah. And is there anybody in the building who can be transparent enough to admit, uh, Pastor, you talking about me because underneath this exterior, I've got some ugly issues. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got some issues. I, I got some th some things that if you bring them up to me, it'll make me cuss you out. I still got some places uh, that if you push me the wrong way, I might put my hands on you and push you back. I may not turn the other cheek if if this happens. I, I, I haven't given this part of my life fully over to the Lord yet. I've got some issues. Issues. I've got some ugly issues. If you knew what I was dealing with in my mind, if you knew the things that I had to fight through just to get up and make it to church this morning, you'd look at me crazy because there were some things that I'm dealing with that aren't quite right, but I'm trying my best to live for God. And as I'm trying to live for God, it makes me have to acknowledge the fact that I've got some issues. 
And if you're sitting here and you got the nerve to act like you're not messed up, that's just a clear indication of how messed up you really are. Because as long as you live in this body, this flesh, you will struggle with your sin. God, help me. Oh, God. And sometimes the only time people act like they're not struggling with sin is because they're not struggling with sin. Yeah. Uh, the only time people act like they're not struggling with sin is because they've given in to sin and there is no struggle. Uh, because the truth of the matter is, if you're fighting hell and flesh and the world and the devil every day, when somebody gives you a reason to talk about it, you'll take every chance you can to talk about it. And that's what God is doing. That's what God uh, wants you to see in your life. God says everybody in here struggles with sin. And the reality is, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I love God. But my life hasn't been perfect. And I don't need you to know all my business. All you need to know is that I'm messed up. But even though we're messed up, even though we have issues, even though we've made dumb mistakes and caused God embarrassment and caused other people, even in our lives, pain. And even though we think that we've fallen from grace because of the magnitude of our mistakes, the beautiful reality of our life is that no matter how big our mistakes may be, no matter how low we might fall down if we've given our lives to God the good news of our lives is that God still has us in his hands and he's promised that no matter how badly we mess up that he'll never let us go as a matter of fact if you're anything like me there were times when you thought you had messed up you had blown it you had sacrificed your purpose and your destiny so that you could satisfy your flesh for a moment and you looked up and realized that you had messed up your life and you thought that you were beyond the of God's love and you were waiting for your life to fall apart and for everything to come crashing down but when you looked up you realized that even though your life should have fallen apart the Lord was holding you together and now the testimony of your life beloved is not one of guilt but it's one of grace and gratitude now your testimony is not one of victimization but it's one of vitality and victory because you realize that the story of your life with all of the hell and high water with all of the pain and the problems and and all the trifling things that you've done. Your life can be summed up in one simple statement. I might be marred. I might be messed up. But I'm still in his hands. And I don't know who I'm preaching to. But in a church where people throw you away. Because you can't get right. You ought to be glad that you serve a God that will never let you go. As a matter of fact that ought to be your testimony. That should be the reason why you shout. And why you give God praise. Because when other people walked away from you. God kept you in his hands. When other people said you weren't good enough. That they wouldn't want anything to deal do with you anymore they said they weren't going to talk to you anymore weren't going to deal with you any longer God said I'm going to keep you in my hands and that should be your testimony when other people walk away from you I'm messed up I'm marred but I'm still in his hands beloved you don't get it yet the message for the marred is simply this when you messed up when you're broken when you're screwed up when you're jacked up when you're traumatized when you are troubled God still has you in his hands and if you're in his hands he has the power to take broken things and put them back together again to make things that are inoperable operable again to make things that are not functional functional again God will fix you because you're still in his hands oh God and whether you know it or not that's uh, why I wanted to call your attention to this particular passage of scripture because Jeremiah God's prophet is writing to the people of God while they were in captivity in Babylon and the Bible 
lets us know that Israel is there in captivity. They are marred because they have disobeyed and dishonored God. And so to punish them, God allows their enemies to come into Israel and take them captive. But even though they have disobeyed and dishonored the Lord, God refuses to disown his people, good God Almighty. So God wants to show Jeremiah the depths of his love and his commitment to those he has chosen. And so the Bible says in order for Jeremiah to understand this, God commands Jeremiah to go down to the house of a potter. It wasn't a church. It wasn't a spiritual place. It wasn't a place for him to get deep revelation. It was a literal potter's house. He said, go down to the potter's house and watch him form a vessel of clay. And the Bible says that while the potter was forming the vessel of clay, while he was doing his work, the vessel of clay was marred. It was messed up in the hands of the potter. And even though the vessel of clay was messed up, the Bible says that the potter remade it again. God help me. And is there anybody here in the building who is excited about the fact that no matter how messed up you are, you serve a God with the power to fix you. God help me. I know people have tried to fix you. Your parents have tried to fix you. Uh, people in relationships have tried to fix you. You've even tried to fix yourself and you haven't been able to do it. It hasn't worked. You ain't been able to talk yourself out of being nasty. You ain't been able to talk yourself out of having a bad attitude. You ain't been able to coach yourself out of being trifling. Oh God, you can't fix yourself. But is there anybody here that's glad you serve a God with the power to fix you? God, help me. Uh, that when you turn your problems and your situations over to Jesus, when you turn the things in your life over to him, he has a way of fixing you and changing you and turn it around. And sometimes, beloved, my prayers aren't deep. They're just, Lord, fix me. God, help me. God, fix me. Fix me. I can't even articulate, Tiffany, all the things I need him to do for me because sometimes I'm so jacked up that I can't even get them all out my mouth. But I say, God, fix me, Chris. And when I say fix me, he knows everything that he needs to do in me. Sometimes I think I'm already fixed in the area. And God says, I got to work on you right there. Is there anybody here that thought you were more spiritual than you really were? Thought you were deeper than you really were? Thought you were more ready for the next level than you actually were? And then when God showed you the devils that were on that next level, you started to fall apart and you said, God, I thought I had it together, but I'm glad that you're able to fix me. Oh, God. And the potter, the potter was able to mend the vessel because even though the vessel was messed up, oh, Chelsea, the vessel was in the right place. Where was the vessel? The vessel was in his hands. And somebody in the building needs to thank God, not because you never made any mistakes, not because your life is perfect, not because you know all the scriptures, but because even though you were messed up, you were still in his hands. God never took his hands off you. Is there anybody here who can celebrate about the fact that he never left you alone? Oh, he never took his hands off you. He didn't take his spirit from you. He didn't disown you. The church tried to throw you away and tell you that you were unqualified because of your divorce, because of your mistakes, because of your mess ups, because of the babies that you had out of, that, out of wedlock, because of the choices that you made. But God said, I still got my hands on you. And you ought to be able to shout today because God still has his hands 
on you. God, help me. Oh, God, I'm grateful today that he still has us in his hands. And that's the good news. That's good news, rather, for the marred people. That's a message for people who are messed up, people who are bruised, battered, and broken. They, 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 they've, they've gone through the hard knocks of life, and they didn't think they'd be able to recover. But, baby, the good news for you is even though you're messed up, you're still in his hands. So God tells Jeremiah that just like the clay was in the hands of the potter, so the people of Israel were in the hands of their God. Let me say it one more time. Just like the clay was in the hands of the potter, so the people of God are in the hands of God. God. This means that no matter how broken, how corrupted, or how marred you are, you are still under the omnipotent power of a holy God. And as long as you are in God's hands, your failures don't have to be final. Your weakness doesn't have to have the last word over you. God has the ability to make you over again. And I believe that just as God used the potter to speak to Israel back then, he's using the potter, beloved, to speak to us today. God, help me. And so then the lessons, the lessons that we learn from the potter and the clay are simply this. Number one, God, help me. Uh, the mistakes I made cannot frustrate the plan of the potter. God, help me. Uh, the mistakes I made cannot frustrate the plan of the potter. And we got to learn how to rejoice in the reality that no matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how broken our lives are, we will never be so messed up that God changes his mind about us. God, help me. Oh, oh God, yeah. God's, uh, God's mind does not change regarding you. Why? Because he knows everything about you before he picks you. So the mistakes that you make might have been a surprise to you, right? You sleep with that person, you look in the mirror and be like, Lord, what was I thinking? You, you, you fall, do something dumb, right? Waste your money. Make a poor decision. And you say, God, why did I do that? I'm unqualified. I'm unworthy. You should take your hands off me. And God says, uh, I'm so God that I knew that you were going to do the stupid things that just surprised you before you did them. So the stuff you do is not a surprise to me, even if it's a surprise to you. And I've already created a plan that includes all of your failures. God, help me. I, I wish y'all would understand this. I'm, I'm preaching better than y'all looking at me. God says, uh, I've already created a plan. That incorporates your inconsistency. And I'm able to take the good things you do and the stupid things you do and bring them together and cause them to work together for your good. That's why Paul says in Romans verse 8 and 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of them who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. What is the calling? What is the calling that he's talking about in Romans? He's, he's not talking about if you got a calling like a calling to preach or a calling to be a worship leader or a calling to be a praise dancer. No, he's talking about those who have been called out of lostness into salvation. He's saying that if I put my hand on you to save you, I'm going to make sure that you wind up saved in the end. You may have some ups, you may have some downs, you might have some good, you might have some bad, but if I've called you, I'm going to make sure that your ups work with your downs and that your good works with your bad to bring 
bring you to the place of my design. So the mistakes that you made will never frustrate the plan of the potter. God, help me. I got to help your theology now. Because some of y'all think that the reason why you're going through is because God is upset with you. Or because God gets mad with you. No, some of the stuff we're going through is the result of our own inconsistency and our poor decisions. Because salvations are, salvation is free. But the blessing of God is conditional. If you're not living in obedience to God, then you can't live under the blessings of God. Well, pastor, I'm not obeying God all the way. I'm not tithing. I don't come to church all the way uh, like I'm supposed to, and things still go good for me. It's because God says it is his love that draws sinners to repentance. God loves you. He allows rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But if you want to live under an open heaven, you've got to obey God. You've got to do what God says. God says, I don't get mad at you. You're not suffering because I'm mad at you. Can I help y'all? Uh, God is everything he's going to be. Uh, the old preacher, William Augustus Jones, a uh, giant of the black preaching tradition, says God lives in a constant state of isness. Yeah, that God does not get mad, he is mad. God, God does not get disappointed, he is disappointed. God does not get happy, he is happy. Everything that he's going to be, he already is. Because if God ever got mad, you'd be destroyed. In order for God to get upset, that means that there is a reaction that comes with the getting upset. But God says, I'm already everything I'm going to be because there's nothing that could surprise me that could change my emotional state. That's why when he reveals himself to Israel, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. When he says, I change not, he is not saying that I don't change direction, I don't change my methods, I don't change my mentality. What he's saying is, literally, my emotional state does not change. He says, therefore, Israel, you are not consumed. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. God says, I'm not surprised by the foolishness that you've allowed to transpire in your life. And because of that, I've got a plan that's going to work together for your good. Yeah. So the mistakes I made can't frustrate the plan of the potter. But number two, uh, my mistakes and my mess-ups might lead God to discipline me. But when he disciplines me, he'll never disown me. Huh. Uh, I, I love the fact that Jeremiah is prophesying to the people of God who are in captivity. They are currently, here it is, black people, on punishment. Yeah, preach. Israel is on punishment. My, I had a friend uh, of the Caucasian persuasion. He, he asked me, he said, man, have you ever been grounded? I said, no, I ain't never been grounded. What's that? He says, well, you know, you swear you can't watch TV, you can't go outside, you can't go play with your friends. I said, oh, you're talking about punishment. Yeah, I've been on, I've been on punishment a whole bunch of times. I, Israel is on punishment. Yeah. Uh, but even though they're on punishment, God still refers to them as his children. God, help me, you missed it. Uh, God is disciplining them. God is allowing Babylon to beat them under the harsh yoke of captivity. But even though they are being disciplined, 
He says, these are still my people. God, help me. And you've got to learn how to thank God for divine discipline. Because divine discipline is actually a sign that you still belong to God. Oh, God, let me help you. Uh, I got kids of my own. I don't whoop other people's kids. Yeah. Uh, I don't beat other people's children. Yeah. Uh, uh, I might, you know, my nieces and nephews, but they all got my last name. Uh, and because you got my last name, there's a standard of behavior that comes with that name. So I might beat them, but they're mine. Do you understand? I don't touch children that don't belong to me. And God says I'm the same way. Uh, see, sometimes you think that God is bothering you, uh, but God ain't really bothering you because you ain't here. God, help me. Oh, God, and can I talk to some people where uh, uh, you feel like your life is going well and you're not living for God? You feel like you don't need him? It's because the devil don't fight people that, be that don't belong to God. God, help me. The, uh, the devil don't fight people who are on his side. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I know you thought that was Abraham Lincoln, but that was Jesus. Jesus said, Satan don't fight himself. So if you're already living like you're on the devil's side, you're already posting like you're on the devil's side, you're already thinking like you're on the devil's side, devil's not going to bother you. That's why your life is going well. But if you belong to God, God says every now and then I got to beat you uh, so that you understand, okay, y'all don't get it. I took my kids. I, I hate road trips. Um, I hate them. I got like, Tiffany, like a, like a four-hour threshold. Like, uh, I can only drive for about four hours. Maximum, right? That just, I'm through, right? It ain't, it ain't four hours, then take a break and get back on the road. It's four hours, and if we have not reached our destination, we not, we not going. Yeah, I don't care if I put it in Google and it say four hours and 12 minutes. I'm not going. I hate road trips. And I hated road trips before I got married. Hated road trips before I had children. But Michelle, having children. And taking them on the road brings a whole nother level of hatred to road trips. And, and Chris, what it's done is it's decreased my threshold for about two hours. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's like an hour off of my tolerance for each child. So if it's just me, Lady T and Tamia, I can go three hours. If it's me, Lady Tamia, and you, I got about two hours and I'm done. That's why I got to make it to Orlando Jotham in an hour and 52 minutes. Everybody asks, why you can't just push that two hours? Why can't you just make? No, because if I get there in two hours and three minutes, one of my children ain't going to make it. And I got to make sure that they survive. So I got to get there in an hour and 52 minutes. Uh, this weekend, we had to drive, I told you, to Orlando. So that we could install Bishop Glenn Livingston as the presiding bishop of the United Churches of Christ. Had to drive to Orlando, Shante, uh, and all of my family, Lord have mercy, came with me. And uh, we're driving, and it's like my kids know that I'm irritated. And so they start doing stuff. Get off me. Your breath stinks. Don't touch me. Stop hitting me. Jew, Tamia, Daddy, Mommy. And I'm like, shut up. 
Everybody just be quiet. I mean, my kid, they, they in there stanking. I don't know what's happening. We driving down the road. I'm like, who did that? And so I was determined, though, listen to me. I was determined that I wasn't going to beat my kids this weekend. I was determined. Look, I was fully persuaded. My mind was made up. I wasn't turning back. I wasn't going to beat my kids this weekend. And Candace, I made it through the whole weekend. And I did not put my hands not one time on my children. Did not even brandish a belt. Because God is with me. But that's not the point. I want you all to understand this. Uh, we get home, okay, which means I've driven another two hours, and we get home. And so my daughter, after we get home, comes in the room and starts bothering me again. And so I snap. I said, Tamia, get out of here. I don't want to hear nothing you got to say. Go to your room and be quiet. And she gets this look on her face that totally breaks my heart. And so... After I get done changing clothes, I had a suit on from the service and all that. I said, Tamia, come here. And I explained to her. I said, Tamia, what I said to you was wrong. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. I said, I was angry because you all have been trying my patience all weekend long. And it takes more energy for me not to whoop you, believe it or not, than it takes for me to beat you and leave you alone. Uh, but because I was trying to teach you something, this weekend about patience and understanding. I did not beat you directly, but I spoke to you in ways, God help me, that would hurt you worse than me putting my hands on you. Because I want you to understand that your behavior affects your relationship with your father. But even though it affects relationship, I'll never disown you, you still belong to me. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to accept my apology. I want you to get your tablet, take it in your room, and watch cartoons till it's time for you to go to bed. Because if you don't, I'm going to kill you. But because she's mine, she said, I forgive you, Daddy. I understand. And I'm sorry. And she went to her room, and everything was straight. Because even though I've got to discipline her, she understands that she still belongs to me. The only time that discipline disrupts connection is if the connection is invalid. But if you're really a son or a daughter, discipline does not disrupt connection. That's why none of y'all in this church can be my friends. Because you can't check your friends. You ever check your friend and lost a friendship? That's because you're not qualified to check them. You don't check your peers. You hold your peers accountable. That's why when people say, oh, man, is so-and-so a son of yours in ministry? Yeah, so-and-so is in Mississippi. He said you're his spiritual father. Are you his spiritual father? Like, I don't know. I ain't corrected him yet. Oh, so-and-so calls, uh, uh, calls you his spiritual father. Do you know? I, I, I don't know. I ain't corrected him yet. But if you can withstand correction and remain connected, then that means that the connection is valid. But when I send correction through the connection and you disconnect, that means you were never really here in the first place. That's why God says while you're in captivity, I've got to remain in contact with you. Because I've got to let you know that there is a reason why you're here. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And you might get an attitude. You might have a face on your face. I might have to tell you straighten your face up. 
turn around, be quiet, wipe them tears off your face. My son getting to that age now where he don't cry no more. He turned his face to the window. We riding in the car, he turned his face to the window. And I said, Jew, you better cut out that heavy breathing unless you want to walk. And then he'll go. But he's still my son. And sonship requires discipline. You understand what I'm saying? If you're going to be in connection, God says, I'm going to discipline you. But you got to shout because the discipline is a sign that we're still connected. Okay, that was deep and that was a long way around. Let me say it this way. God's going to beat you. But he got to touch you to beat you. And the same hand that he uses to beat you is the same hand that he'll use after the beating to bless you. God, help me. God says, I got to touch you to correct you. God, help me. Oh, God. And so God says that you've got to rejoice that even in the midst of correction, my hand is still on you. But he says, my mess ups may lead God to discipline me, but he'll never disown me. But then thirdly, and I'm done, <laughs> we learn from the potter and the clay that even though I might fail, my failures are not final because my father still has the power to fix me. He's got the power to fix me. Look, look at what he says. He says, verse 4, but the vessel that he was making of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as, he, as it pleased the potter to make. Now, I, I want to clarify. When it says it, he made it into another vessel, he made it into another vessel. Uh, the, the potter did not change what he was making, rather he remade it into another vessel like the one that was being messed up, right? He, he took the clay and formed it into the object of his design. Now, the reason why it says the vessel of clay was spoiled or it was marred is because the text is trying to tell us clearly that the mistake that happened was based on a flaw in the clay and not in the hand of the potter. That, that, that the pot got messed up because there were imperfections in the clay, not because there was an issue with the potter's hand. You hear what I'm saying? That, 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 that when God is working on us, it is not because of God's inconsistency that things are disrupted in our lives. You hear what I'm saying? It's not an issue with God. It's an issue with you. When things happen in your life and when things transpire in your life and when things go wrong in your life, it is not because God is doing something wrong. It's because there's an issue with you. And, and it takes maturity to admit that there's a problem with the clay. Yeah. It, it takes maturity to admit that there is something in me, on me, about me. 
that has caused this process to not go right. Because what we tried to do ever since Adam, we've been blaming other people for our failure. We don't want to take responsibility and admit that the reason why things have gone wrong for us and with us is because of us. Yeah. But the reason why the Bible says that the vessel was spoiled in the hand of the potter is because God wants you to know that there are issues in you. There are problems in you. There are imperfections in you. That cause you to get messed up while you are on the wheel. While you are in his hand. While he is touching you. While he is fixing you. While he is trying to get you to the place he wants you to be. There are imperfections in you. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's saying that there are issues in you that could, that could cause this process to be slowed down. And how many of us can be honest and admit that that's where some of us are right now? Yeah. We, some of us, man, we got to be honest and admit that it's not the devil stopping us. It's God. Uh, it's us stopping us, rather. Yeah. It's, it's, it's us hindering us. Uh, the reason why we can't get everything we want to get from God it's not because there is some malevolent force above us trying to keep us from getting there. It's because there is something on the inside of you. There is a crack or a hole or an imperfection or an empty place on the inside of you. And when it presses up against the pressure of the potter's hand, it causes the imperfection to be made known. And that's what happened. Jeremiah is going down to the potter's house. And he's watching this potter do his work on the wheel. And while he's watching the potter do his work on the wheel, I can see Jeremiah now. He's excited watching the potter, watching this master craftsman do his work, watching him bake, uh, make the vessel of clay. And I'm sure that it was almost done, Brother Herman, and he's ready to watch the potter take it off the wheel and put it in the oven to bake it and finish it. But just before it gets done, a crack is exposed. And so I didn't understand this. I, I, I didn't understand. Because I thought that every good potter would examine the lump of clay beforehand. And, 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 it, and it would seem to me that if, if the potter would examine the clay beforehand, he would see imperfections in lumps of clay and only choose to work with lumps of clay that did not have imperfections. Why would you choose a lump of clay that was going to cause you to have to stop and start over? Why would you choose a lump of clay that got cracks in it? Why would you choose a lump of clay that has lumps under the surface of it. Why would you choose a lump of clay that has discolorations in it? If you, God, are a master potter, why would you choose imperfect clay and put the imperfect clay on your wheel? I didn't understand this, uh, so I was confused. 
And I had to ask my mom, Chris, because my mom used to do pottery and ceramics. And so I asked my mother, I said, Mom, I, I don't understand um, because I'm about efficiency. So it would seem to me to be more efficient that the potter would choose lumps of clay without imperfection. Uh, why would you choose a lump of clay that's going to cause you in the middle of your work while you're working on the clay to start over? And my mom says, sometimes there are issues in faith that are only revealed after it's been pressed. That, that if you never press on the clay, if you never work on the clay, the imperfections are never revealed. But I said, Mom, I got a problem with that. Because once the imperfections are revealed, don't you have to start over? My mom said, no. That's the purpose of it being on the wheel. Because it's on the wheel, I am now able to take my hand and smooth out the imperfections that I wouldn't have been able to fix if it wasn't on the wheel. So I don't have to waste clay. God help me. I can take imperfect clay and use it for my purpose while it's on the wheel. And some of us have been wondering why God picked us because we know all the stuff that's wrong with us. And it would seem as if God would choose somebody better than us. But God says it's not about the pot. It's about the glory of the potter. That when people see what I've been able to do with things and people like you, they'll give me glory and praise because of what I've been able to accomplish through you. Because everybody can see <laughs> that you're jacked up. I know you feel like you fixed it. <laughs> I know you feel like you dressed it up. I know you feel like you've covered it up and that you've developed this persona, but everybody can see that you're trifling. Everybody can see that you got issues. Everybody can see that there are things in your life that are inconsistent with the testimony that you give. But instead of throwing you away, God says, I'm holding you close to me. God says, I'm fixing you. But the only way I can fix you is if you stay on the wheel, if you stop trying to fix yourself. If you stop trying to make it work yourself, God says, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to put you back together. I'm going to make you into the vessel that I've called you to be. The vessel of my design. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He says, the vessel of faith was marred in the hand of the potter. He says, but he remade it into another vessel. Here it is. As it pleased the potter's master. It, it pleased him to make him into another vessel. God is not tired of working on you. You get tired of getting worked on. But God doesn't get tired of working on you. 
You, you get tired of God taking you through the process. But God does not get tired of processing you. Because God says, I've got something on my mind, and I know you can't get there on your own. I knew that you couldn't do it by yourself when I called you to it. And as long as you stay on the wheel, I'm going to make you. Why? Because it pleases me to make. I make you according to my pleasure, not yours. Whew. That God works on clay, hear me, until he's pleased with it, not until it's pleased with itself. We want to stop the process when we're pleased with ourselves, when we can congratulate ourselves, when we can brag about our walk with God and how often we read our Bible and how much we fast and how much we pray and how much scripture we know and how often we come to church and how faithful we are in our giving and how consistent we are in our attendance. And we want to be able to be pleased with ourselves. And then we wonder why we still go through so much hell, even though we do so much stuff that we brag about. It's because God says, I want to be pleased with you. I don't want you to be pleased with yourself. And many of us have gotten in trouble because we hop off the wheel. When we get pleased with ourselves. But we don't wait for the pleasure of the potter. God help me. The potter will tell you when he's done with you. The, the potter will tell you when you're done being worked on. But because we're so eager for attention and acceptance and for affirmation. When we do something good, we want somebody else in the flesh to tell us, oh, that's good, that's wonderful, that's nice. We're waiting for affirmation for other people. But God said, let me affirm you. And when I affirm you, that affirmation will fill you. And you won't need it from anybody else. He says, it pleased the potter to make verse 5. It says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Behold, like clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my sight. It says, just like clay is molded. Just like that, you want me to fix you, marred person, broken person, person with issues, person that's jacked up. If you want that, if that's what you want, it says you got to be tired to be uh, in my hands. You've got to be willing to let me work, to let me do what I'm here to do, what, 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 what I want to see done in your life. And, and notice that you never see the potter having a conversation with the clay about what the clay wants to do. <laughs> the potter makes vessels according to needs. If he needs a jar to put water in, he'll make a jar. If he needs a bowl to put food in, he'll make a bowl. If he needs a cup to put drink in, he'll make a cup. But he never asked the clay, Clay, what is your aspiration? Clay, what is your desire? What, what are your hopes and dreams? Clay, what is your five-year plan? Clay, what did you put on your vision board? 
clay, what do you desire to get out of life? Never ask the clay. He says, why? Because you belong to me. And I have the right to make you based on the need that I see. Not based on your need to be seen. And so many of us have manufactured and lied and created callings and created visions. But let me tell you, God's vision for your life is not the thing you always wanted to do. God's vision for your life is not the thing that you say, oh, if I had some money, I would do this. God's vision for your life is something that brings him glory, not you. God's vision for your life is something that will crush you, and in the crushing of you, it will glorify him. And the reason why I know so many of us are not on purpose is because we're not being molded. Being molded hurts. Being pressed is uncomfortable. Some of us look too cute to be getting molded. But that's because we're following our own aspirations. The clay is telling the potter that we want to be something. But God says, when are you going to let me tell you what you're going to do? Because I don't have to provide for what you want. I'm only obligated, God says, to provide for what I've called you to do. I'm not required, the Lord says, to fight every one of your battles. God says, I'm only required to fight the battles I send you to fight. I'm not required to make all of your enemies leave you alone. Just the enemies that are attacking you, Matthew 5, for my sake. And we as clay have to stop talking to the potter and telling him what we want to be. Because here is the thing, we don't know what imperfections we have, but the potter knows. He knows what you can't handle. He knows what you don't need. He knows, hear me, who you don't need. That relationship that you keep asking him to fix, he's telling you. I know what you need. So he says, oh, Israel, can't I do it like this potter does with the clay? As clay is, then the potter says, so are you in my hand. Did y'all hear what I'm saying? So I want to encourage somebody. No matter what happens, no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard you have to fight, stay in his hand. Stay in his hand. Stay on the wheel. Don't jump off of the wheel because you're tired, because you're in pain, because you're being pressed. Don't abort destiny. Don't hit the eject button because it's hard. But stay on the wheel. Stay on the wheel. Because God says, when I get done working on you, 
what's coming is greater than what's here. You'll look better when I'm through than you look when, I'm, when I started. Amen. Come on, put your hands together and give God praise.